Welcome to the T-Head Podcast. This is Marty. I'm Leland. And I'm Moby the Jock. <laughs> uh, there's a little story to that there. Just want to thank Listener for first ever fan mail where uh, he mostly accurately identified us. And as the funny guy, I'll be adding in <laughs> jokes all afternoon, boys. Well, I uh, don't understand why I... In particular, are the, is the nerdy one. It's the glasses. Out yeah. of this fucking... Like, what is this podcast about? But I'm... <laughs> fuck you, listener. Just, if listener could look at Leland right now and see him squinch up with those glasses, you would know how accurate you are. Listen to that <laughs> laugh. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I'm late for my fantasy football draft. <laughs> Let's get this done. Let's get this done. <laughs> All right, boys. Um... Yeah, so episode five, uh, titled, Why Can't We Have Nice Things? Um, we're going to cover a couple things today. We're going to cover the fourth console generation. We're going to cover board buffoons in the crazy about cardboard section. And we're going to cover video game film adaptions and why they fail. Uh, I'm really excited about all three. I think uh, we all have some pretty exciting ideas about everything um but just to start off i've got a topic i want to talk about and something that really rubbed me the wrong well wrong way last week anyways was uh the super nintendo classic i couldn't pre-order one and oh, that makes really? me really mad yes just because like they're out of pre-orders within two minutes wow well and it was ridiculous because marty and i had an agreement to right, take man. a look and we had all these different websites bookmarked and and marty basically sends me a text and goes Shit, no we're too late. Wow. We're too late. And he's right. I looked everywhere and it was it was sold out. And what I heard that pisses me off is a bunch of bots now. Oh, yeah. Them. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah, I heard that too. And the issue I had was I had uh, like Best Buy set to send me like uh, tweets essentially when uh, it came, when it was about to come up. Yeah. Um, I didn't get the tweet until like right at 10, which is when they came on sale. So I went uh, there immediately and it had probably gone up two minutes early. They were gone. Oh, and man. most people who had put them even in their box, and then they went to click it, it was gone by the time they went to buy it. Holy crap! Yeah. So, do you know if they had uh, like they just have like one huge one number of quantity available for all of the world, or does it was it like broken up by region? Like select regions have a certain amount of quantities. Like North America gets so many, and yeah, I'm not too sure. I know that they were trying to make about double or so of what they made of the NES Classic. Yeah. But still, not nearly. Obviously enough. not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we talk, we bitched about this already, but like yeah. that's. But now it actually struck home. Yeah, yeah. And now we, it's reality. Yeah. Well, it's it's commodifying, you know, something that is is basically just a gift to video game fans that like nostalgia and like playing yeah. retro games, and it's turning it like into what's happened with uh, uh, concert tickets. Where yeah, you basically yeah, totally. have these bots that buy them because they know that uh, you know they're going to catch a lot more money on the secondary market. And guys like us that just want to have a Super Nintendo, uh, you know, retro console, we we lose out. It's not fair. And how can you stop it? Because with movie tickets now, sometimes you have to show your ID when you actually go to the concert. Yeah. But okay, they're going to show their ID when they pick this thing up, and then they're going to turn around and sell it five minutes later on Craigslist for twice the amount of money. So it's irrelevant. Unless you, like, assign it to a finger- thumbprint, and you have to turn the damn thing on with a thumbprint. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, there's nothing you can do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would have loved to have seen Nintendo just make an announcement, you know, a week or so after saying, we're just going to flood the market. We've opened a second factory and screw you to the speculators. 
But wow. uh, dream on. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Yeah. So that was um, like pre-orders through um, like distributors? Yeah. Oh, okay. Everything's gone. So like anywhere you would buy it in a store, that's where you're pre-ordering from. It's not like uh, Nintendo had a pre-order website or something? I'm not aware if they did. I, I'm sure they had something. Maybe not in Canada. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was looking through uh, Best Buy and EB Games and all that and no luck at all. I think they're still having a few in store that morning when they release September 29th. Mm. So I'm trying to send my wife to wait in line <laughs> <laughs> or suddenly I'll have a doctor's appointment. <laughs> so. you, got, you got, you got cancer. Powerful bad there, Marty. Powerful. Bad. Until 11 a.m. <laughs> He's cured. He's in remission. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, I, I had a couple things to go. They're probably gonna be long. I don't know. Do you have anything? You know, I just had one quick thing. I was overjoyed um, to find a, a link, uh, you know, last week that showed Dolph Lundgren's Instagram in that he was training for Creed 2. Yeah, I saw, I saw so I had known he was going to be in it. And I had known that I thought he was going to play a mentor role, though. But how he's training, it's clear that he's going to fight, which makes it that much cooler. And, uh, you know, at least Marty and myself loved uh, the Rocky series and Rocky 4. And yeah, it's getting me stoked. So I just wanted to. Even if he's just training to like look good as the trainer, that's awesome. <laughs> it like, is. Yeah, I can't wait. Dulce's a really cool guy. I like yeah. him a lot. He's probably the best part of the Expendables, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, that's all I got, Lima. Okay. Um, well, there's just a couple uh, board game things that I thought you guys would be interested in. Because um, Gen Con was a couple weekends ago, like a week and a half ago, I think. Um, longer if, uh, when this episode uh, drops, but um, one thing. So there's this new Terminator board game that they previewed at Gen Con. Oh, uh, so it's like the it's touted is like uh, it's called T twenty twenty nine. Okay, like the and then the subtitle is like the official uh, Terminator two Judgment Day board game. Huh. Uh, it looks pretty cool. It's put out by, uh, who is it? I wrote it down. Oh, uh, Rule and Make. I think they're like a smaller, like in, indie company, but they got the, uh, worldwide exclusive license for T2 specifically. Wow. It looks really cool. It's like this co-op game. So basically you're, you're playing out like, uh, the, the, like the role in of, of T2, you know, like that, the future stuff you see. So you basically, uh, you're, you have to protect John Connor as you, and get him to like, Skynet like mainframe so they can hack in and like get to the time machine and you also have to like capture a T-800 to reprogram so you can send it back and oh, you have to cool. do all this before um, like the T-1000 infiltrator units like get in and, and wipe your base out and stuff like that and the board looks huge in this video I, I'll link it in the in the show notes but this video that I watched the board was fucking huge and you got uh, like sp- units all over the place like like army dudes fighting the the endoskeletons like all over the place there's um like a hunter killer um track where the the more actions you take the farther the the hunter killer moves on the track before and when it hits the end it kills a certain number of dudes on the map uh right and it's like it's really it looks really cool and there's a it looks like there's a lot of like way more than i could explain right now but it looks 
pretty fucking cool. Do they have full licensing? I mean, like, do they have the actual John Connor from that intro pictured and the T-1000 Robert Patrick? Or uh, Yeah, uh, just, I think there was, I mean, again, it was all prototype stuff, so I don't know what any of the final artwork, but there were definitely, like, Robert Patrick like likeness and Schwarzenegger likeness and stuff. It looks cool. it looked really cool. cool. So it, it actually so that was like the preview of Gen Con and then the they're kickstarting it, which launches on September twenty fifth. I'm definitely gonna back that for sure. But it's funny though because like when I, I say it's uh, the license for specifically T two because there's already uh, the Terminator game that was recently kickstarted and I think is delivering pretty soon. But it was put out by Space Goats. You. Recognize that name? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because they also had a Kickstarter for Evil Dead 2, the official board Yes, yes, which I have Kickstarted. Yeah, as have I. So I think those Kickstarters were actually at the same time, because I remember kind of coming across it and looking at it. But it also looks kind of cool, because it's... So it's like the first game, but it's... uh, You play it on two boards. One board is set in 2029, but the other board is set in like 1984 or whatever. And in 1984 board, you're like doing all these these objectives that play basically play out through the original Terminator movie, and then that affects what happens on the 2029 board. And the 2029 board seems like it's a lot of just like combat and stuff, but it's not cooperative. It's one versus many, so one guy is running Skynet basically, cool. whereas the other players cool. are like the resistance. So that looks kind of cool too. You can actually pre-order that one right now because I think the Kickstarter is long over. Pretty sure there that one should be delivered soon because again, if it came out the same time as Evil Dead Two, and that should be delivered soon too. Like when the fuck are we gonna get that? Yeah, guy? I <laughs> keep getting the updates for uh, for that Leland, and it's they've had some supplier issues. They yeah. were concerned of the plastic uh, figures mm-hmm. fitting into the board and whatnot. So yeah, there's some sizing issues with a few of the components too, and I think they had. Um, but whew, that was expensive. Yeah, that game was expensive. That was, and I think both of us went for the deluxe edition. Yeah, extra yeah. Sh- shit, so. really pricey. There. And I'm not even a board game guy. <laughs> Dare I ask how much? Um, I, I think it was upwards of 200 bucks. Oof. You, uh, ca- right? yeah, Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, it yeah, was Canadian very close Canadian. to that Canadian. Not the most expensive thing I've ever kickstarted. There is a much more expensive one, which. I got, I'll probably talk about later in the Crazy Bar Carbon segment. Okay. It'll okay. kind of come up, but... Uh, yeah, so I thought it looked really cool, and I'm definitely going to get the T2029 one. looks crazy cool. It's, apparently, it's ridiculously hard, too, which a good co-op should be. And then the second thing that I thought would interest Matt is... Um, so, they were s- selling this at Gen Con, and is now available... For purchase everywhere else you could find it is uh, Cities of Splendor. Oh, an expansion for Splendor. Oh, oh I yeah. like that too. Actually, yeah, I thought both yeah. you would like both of these things. So, um, yeah, it looks it looks cool. I mean, I don't know how necessary it really is, but it's necessary. Please buy it. It for us. comes um, with four <laughs> uh, different modules, so you can plug and play them into the game and play with as many or as few as you want. Um, like the first first part, like adds uh, cities, so it, it were kind of I think the cities replace the nobles. So as opposed as a instead of attracting the nobles to you to score points, you um, get these cities which 
give you points and um, I think they give you like unique abilities too depending on what the city is and stuff but the thing about them is for you to be able to win you have to get a city hmm. whereas the nobles are just bonus points basically right right so it's kind of cool uh, second one the trading post which comes with a whole extra board I don't really that again it you meet requirements and you unlock some spaces which give you more power, like unique powers and stuff. Like you can earn more prestige with other victory points. You earn you earn you more gems and stuff like that. I don't know. That one seems kind of bleh. There's also like more uh, development cards, thirty new cards, which again give you more unique abilities that you can you can draft and stuff. But the the coolest one I think is uh, strongholds. So it gives uh, each player I think is like three or four um, stronghold figure things where you can put them out onto cards on the board and only you can buy a card with your stronghold on it. So you can do a lot more blocking, I guess. So you're basically saying I can you can I can reserve twice you, over now. You can reserve a lot. I think I just have a new um, favorite board game. And like the description said, like if you get three of your strongholds on one card, something cool happens or you get it for free or something. I don't know. Um, I'll figure it out. Sure. We'll, I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I'll, yeah, I should definitely pick it up. It looks cool. It looks cool. But I'm like, I wonder, though, do you think, like, what do you like about Splinter? Do you like how simple and how smooth it is? Like, that's what I like I about just it. feel like it rewards the primal instinct of greed, which I apparently am full of. So <laughs> I enjoy the fact that it lets me be greedy, take gems and buy more gems, and reserve and take away resources from you and basically be an all-around bastard to build an economic empire. I love that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just think it potentially could take away from what makes the game enjoyable for me anyways. Fair enough. Fair just enough. by adding, I mean, just because you got a, a nice game, a good game, throwing more shit on top of it doesn't make it a great game. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it sometimes. <laughs> totally, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll see. I'll pick it up. We'll, we'll, we'll play it. Sounds good. Yeah, and those are just... I just wanted to talk about those stuff because I thought they looked cool. Especially D2029. Man, that looks cool. Yeah, I got to look this up. Oh. I got to see pictures because yeah. I love Terminator yeah, 2. Yeah. You know, I went by myself to see the 3D uh, in theaters uh, this last week and it was great. And uh, yeah, to hear there's a board game version with fully licensed pictures and, and characters and whatnot. Uh, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, it looks cool. So what's our first segment today? Well, I think that would be crazy about cardboard there, Leland. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yes. I know we're going from cardboard to cardboard. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> don't stop talking. Just keep going. I'll keep going. Okay, good, good, good. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, basically crappy games. <laughs> games that uh, we kind of thought missed the mark. Moby's Resident Evil game. Oh. <laughs> First was- of all... It was on a large piece of paper. The, the, the components were all little strips of paper. There was no figurines. It was clearly made by a 17-year-old. Which is actually the age I made it at. Thank you, Marty. I did my research. <laughs> how? How did you find out how old I was when I made an old game? That's... You can buy anything. You know and... <laughs> you can know buy anything on the internet. <laughs> You buy anything on the I bought that information from your brother. <laughs> He'll give it. So I only buy games that 
I am pretty confident that I'm going to enjoy. Like, I don't... I, and basically, the games I get to play are the ones that I buy, pretty much. It's like, not much... Not much other games that I'm... I get a chance to try and stuff like that, right? So, I don't really have a list of, of games that I think sucked. I mean, you know, there's the, the, the kind of, like reviews and stuff you hear and you read online, but that's just me like repeating what other people have said. That's not what, that's not me. So I have one game in particular that comes to mind from my collection that isn't bad by any means in, in my opinion, but it fell short from the height for me. So that's kind of my spin that I'm going to take on this segment. That's kind of how I envisioned it. Yeah, okay, okay, good. Um, so, but you guys had some things you were talking about? I have a major disappointment, um, which is I don't buy a, a ton of board games. I maybe have eight or ten total. But I really like the Axis and Allies series. And I loved Axis and Allies Global, which is actually two different board games, uh, Pacific and Europe. You put it together, you have a three-foot-tall by six-foot wide board, about eight major countries. It's amazing. But one of the smaller... (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. One of the smaller skill uh, Axis and Allies games that came out that I bought just on a whim because it looked great was their D-Day. And unfortunately, Axis and Allies D-Day was terrible. Uh, it broke away from most of the core mechanics, which made Axis and Allies fun. It was very regimented and, you know, this plane moves at this time in this group of soldiers on this side moves here. And uh, it just didn't feel like Axis and Allies at all. And it, it, it was boring. It was obscenely boring, oh, which man. I think no game can do. I played it uh, just a couple of times and it's been collecting a rather thick layer of dust ever since. That's uh yeah so that's that there's no variability to the game like every, shit happens every time at a certain point in every single game. Oh, absolutely. Because it's cuz what they tried to like they spent too much focus on reenacting it. Like is that the problem? Well, I mean, the issue is I'll give you an example or, or a couple examples here. So in regular Axis and Allies, Britain has a turn. Yeah. Britain does a number of things, and then their turn is over. They buy units. They they do this or that. In this game, it's so regimented. It's like America does a combat move, and then Britain does a combat move, and then America resolves their combat move, and then Germany draws reinforcements. And not only that, there's no money. There's no economy. Your reinforcements, you are given a cardboard list. And you have to do your reinforcements from left to right. They never change. So you get maybe, you roll a die, you maybe get three or four reinforcements. Did we we play that one? I think we did once. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm remembering this now. And it's like, okay, so you get two tanks. And you're always going to get those two tanks as reinforcements. So there's so little variability to the game. Yeah. It's... It really just comes down to a few lucky die rolls or not for the Germans. And, and essentially, all the Germans actually have to do is delay, mm-hmm. and then they win. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember this. I, yeah. It just, compared to other Axis and Allies and even other war games that we played, you know, like Shogun, it's yeah. just, it's weak sauce. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I'll ever play it again. Yeah, that sucks, because, man, Glo- Axis and Allies Global, uh, me, oh, it's so... Awesome having that on the board. Like, it's crazy cool. And there's so much 
stuff that happens in Access and Allies Global that could not happen in that D-Day version. Uh, Leland and I, when I first got that game, we played it a ton. We did. Um, Just like you and I alone, like oh, 1v1, yeah. this huge, massive board with each of us controlling like five countries. We could have been <laughs> doing much, you know, more productive things. We could be trying to get dates, Whatever. Eat, sleep. Oh, wait, I want to play six hours of World War II. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had an awesome game one time. I remember uh, I was Germany and I took Britain. I just took it. But my Navy left Germany's capital <laughs> completely open. And Leland walks in with one small yep. infantry regiment in Raining Nazi Germany. Yep. And I just said, fuck you, and shook his hand. It was <laughs> over. <laughs> it was over. Marty played France and uh, uh, for my birthday, and he was knocked out within five minutes. So he did a good job playing the French. Marty is French. I live and strive for accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one like kind of shitty thing about that game. Like you have to knock out France. Like France always gets knocked out before they even get to take a turn. That's just what happens. Exactly. And, which exactly. is unfortunate. I mean, it's cool that they're there and they I mean they're really a minor like who else is kind of minor? I guess like um, New Zealand or whatever in Australia or whatever, that's kind of minorish, but late game they can impact pretty good. Exactly. Um uh, yeah, a lot of, like, they really can make a difference late game if you can set them up early game and just get your, your land bridges moving and just get everybody moving. Uh, you can really get to uh, one of the, Indian, what's the, uh, there's one part of the board or whatever. There's British India. Are you yeah, 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 British that? India. Yeah, you can help them out. Yeah. They had some really cool mechanics in that game. Uh, you know, I remember Ch- uh, China, which basically has to fight a guerrilla war. They only have access to a few units, but they can deploy anywhere. They don't need a factory. And they can really harass the Japanese and bog the Japanese down they if can. the Japanese don't stomp them. They can, yeah. So it was great. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, Axis and Allies D-Day was missing. You know, when I was thinking about it, I thought I'd like nothing more than to tie Axis and Allies D-Day up with a rock and throw it over a bridge like the beginning of Jumanji. <laughs> and then I realized that I've actually played the board game adaptation of Jumanji and it is 10 times better than D-Day. So the wrong game was thrown off the bridge in that movie. You can hear it. You can hear it. Yeah. The drumming keeps you up at night. Wrong it- game, Dad. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that's all I got. Marty, you got anything on the board game front? Yeah, I was just thinking about Scythe. Mm. Oh, I knew this was going to come up. I had that too. And this actually almost made my list. And it's not that Scythe is bad. It's that... You also only played it one time. I I agree. But I've had a lot of time to think about it and talk about it with you guys. And I like so much about everything else about Scythe, but playing it left a lot to be desired. I love the setting, I love the board, I love the pieces, I like the concept, and then when you play it, I was just kind of like, meh, it was just over. It just it didn't feel like anything I did really mattered. just felt like you were building, 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 there was a little bit of conflict, and then all of a sudden it happened really fast and it was over. Uh, yeah, it, the game can, it crescendos pretty pretty good. It does. End, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the build to that was slow. So it's like a slow build, yeah. crescendos extremely fast. Yeah, yeah. And up to that point, it's kind of tedious a little bit. So I, I just don't really feel like I'd really... I, I'd give it another shot. Yeah, we definitely should, because I actually just got two extra expansion factions that I really want to try. Okay. Yeah, I didn't like Scythe either that much, or I felt it didn't live up to the hype. I actually have 
few notes on that. And what was interesting is it's got these awesome figures and paintings of these huge mechs for these different factions, and they're really creative. But the game doesn't really have a lot to do with combat. It's board control and resource control and building up your own resource table. And that's how you win. And the mechs are somewhat secondary. They are. They are. It's a a little uh, solitary. Yes. um, Yes. For, uh, I think, a large part of the part of the game is is kind of you're playing solitaire with yourself a little bit. But I mean, like, there's a, there's opportunity to put pressure on other players and and make it more interactive, I suppose, depending on your group. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but no, I I get where you guys are coming from because yeah, this one was crazy hyped. Very like I just remember when that Kickstarter was going on and it like looks so pretty, all you know, the fantastic art, and it's like oh man, these cool mechs and yeah, everyone was cr- going crazy for it and. Uh, yeah, I've had wanted it for a long time, and when I first got it, I I really loved it. Like, it actually plays pretty good at two player too. I really like it at two player, but then I kind of, it faded off for me pretty quick actually. Like like I think I mentioned this before, but like I I had first played Shogun pretty soon after we had played Scythe a whole bunch of times, and then I couldn't help but compare the two. I'm like, wow, I just really like Shogun way more than this. I mean, they are they're definitely way different style of game for sure. But it's hard not to look at Scythe having being a combative game. I mean, it's the, you look at the board and you're like, oh wow, this there's got to be an element of area control in this kind of thing, right? And it's not as centric as you'd think it would be. But uh, we should definitely give it another couple shot. So yeah, I'd give it another go. I think one of the unique issues we have being your friend, Leland, as long as you keep paying us, is that we have so much choice in different board games with you. So you have so many excellent options. It's tough when we do a board game night to go, yay, let's bring out Scythe again. Yeah, yeah. I Followed know. by Axis and Allies D-Day Edition. <laughs> oh, don't put those two together. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, we really play too few games. I think from mm-hmm. now on, before we record, we're playing a game of something every every recording session. I'm forcing you guys to play something with me. And it's got to be a game that pisses each other off, so we're ready to go. Yeah, we get all riled up. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can make for some good radio. <laughs> it, it would. Was there anything that you felt missed to Mark Leland? Yes. For me, uh, Blood Rage. Uh, this is another like, like a lot of people really love this game, and uh, I kickstarted this with all its all its extra stuff. And now this one was pricey. This one was, I think, at least two fifty. I paid for it Canadian, maybe closer to three hundred for everything with because I got all the add-ons. They look so cool, and. I've played it before five times at a bunch of different player counts, and I I really want to love this game because everyone else does, and it it looks so cool, and and I re- I do like um, the drafting and drafting for all of the pa- I don't think uh, Mark you haven't played this one. No, right? I haven't. I haven't played it. Moby, I played this one with you. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? 
you know, I just the word I would use was underwhelming, and I'd agree with you. It just like didn't that. feel that much fun. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Game is meant to be fun. We just kind of went through the paces with it. Yeah. Mind you, we were getting our asses handed to us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Was, so maybe that could have soured it a little. Yes. Um, Bring Splendor back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I want to I wanna love this game, and I want to keep getting it to the table and, like, trying to force myself to love it. I don't know why I don't like it. I don't know. It has a bunch of cool stuff. Like, like it. There's, it's all combat, right? Like, right. as opposed to Scythe. Um the, and the, and I, I love drafting games. Like, who doesn't like a card draft? Card drafts are always fun. Um, I don't know. There's just It just missed something for me. I'm not sure. It's really hard to explain, but it's not as great as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and not worth what I paid for, personally. Fair enough. Definitely a disappointment. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that, I think, out of all of my games, is the biggest... Biggest disappointment in my collection. But I'm very happy to have it in my collection. And let's hope. So even though that was disappointing, again, I fell into the hype. Okay, so Simon put out this game. Um, I think back then they were a cool mini or not, but they rebranded to just Simon. You know, like, whatever. They 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 make fantastic games. The minis and all their games are always great. Like, um, we played with... Uh, our buddy, we played Masmora. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. Um, that was that's a Simon game. Um, it's like a spin-offy thing of Arcadia Quest, which again, a bunch of dungeon crawly games that a lot everybody loves those games. You know what? I didn't like Masmora. <laughs> There's another one I didn't like. I just don't like dungeon crawl games. You know, it's funny for the show prep when we were talking to Leland about this. Leland's like, I don't buy bad games. I got, I love my games. They're all treasures to me. <laughs> and then we get into this discussion. And well, I don't own Masmora. Um, okay. That's certainly not something that I would have been drawn to kickstart, right? Like, right. Or even on the shelf. Um, yeah, like, and like a lot of people hate on those games because they have like the chibi style art and like. Uh, figure models and stuff. I don't give a shit about that, but I just don't like dungeon crawl games, really, I think. I didn't have any fun. But we'd only played the co-op version of that. Right. And right. it has a competitive version, which I think would probably, I have liked, I enjoyed a, a lot more. Mm. Where you can, like, murder fuck each other in the dungeon as you're trying to kill all the monsters and score points and stuff. I think I would like that more. I've noticed you like to say murder fuck a lot. Yeah, I do say that a lot. Like, when we're talking about Batman, <laughs> murdery Batman, I said yeah, a lot about it last yeah, Always murder fuck Batman. Leland's yeah. parole officer mentioned he says that a lot, too. So. <laughs> Just thought I'd contribute. Yeah, thanks. But what I was saying about Simon is, I, 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 again, it happened to me. I fell into the hype of uh, an upcoming game that um, I'm not sure when it's supposed to be fulfilled, but uh, Rising Sun. Another, it's, so it's in the it's in the lineage of Blood Rage. It's by the same uh, designer, Eric Lang, and it's it's similarish to Blood Rage, but there's um, a cool like influence component to it, like into the gameplay and stuff. Again, really cool looking minis, but as opposed to being like Viking, it's this is like uh, Japanese theme. So it has all these cool, um, all the figures are like cool, like like cami gods and stuff like that. You know, like. Kind of reminds me of um, 
that MTG cycle that nobody likes, Kamigawa. Ah, like that yes. kind of like yes. the like all the kind of like the spirit stuff, you know, stuff, you know. You were right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so fingers crossed that's really good because again I pay a lot for it. Like the problem with those games is the base to get a base game of those is like a hundred bucks. Right. Because they come because they you're paying for the plastic in them, right? You're paying for these awesome models and stuff. Um, and I, oh man, I hope it's good. Yeah. I hope it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope so too. Uh, but then again, it's your money. So if you strike out, Marty and I are, are fine. Let's <laughs> just head home and play our video games, watch your movies. We'll pity play it with you. Good. Sure. That's fine. I'll take it. Do we ever hang out with him when it's not pity, Marty? No. Yeah. It's, you guys are That's mean. why we're here, isn't it? I'm a jock. I'm supposed <laughs> to be me. This is the, I'm stuffing you in a locker. The pity oh. podcast. I do big to get a logger. He is. He is. Chop you up. <laughs> so oh okay, so we've been talking about Kickstarter. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, that's kind of the next thing. Yeah, that's thing. our next thing, right? A Kickstarter, does it help or hinder? Now, uh, I got into Kickstarter only like pretty much when I got into the hobby. So I've been a couple years worth of kickstarting projects and stuff and i think i've got like 30 or 40 projects that i've backed and uh, have received and i think it's great i mean it's really convenient i mean yeah it's like delayed gratification but i don't know i kind of like oh something showed up at the door randomly right so it's like (laughs) whatever but um there's lots of i think the biggest criticism about it is that a lot of people don't like how the larger named companies like Simon use it um, because you know you look at it and you you see the way that they market themselves it's like the, the little guy is it's their chance right it's their chance to to get off the ground and make their their aspirations you know come come true be fruitful well, exactly. They, and that's one of my problems, too, is that they basically use it as a uh, just any other pre-order site. And yeah. they take away funds from those smaller companies that really could use the money. Because in a number of cases, these board games from the larger companies, like, let's not mince words, they're going to be made no matter what. So Kickstarter is yeah. there to just, I don't know, pre-order and validate the, the concept. Um, an issue I have with Kickstarter, and this goes beyond just uh, board games, is really lack of preparation. There's a lot of projects that I've kickstarted where when you get the updates later, you can tell that the companies really didn't have everything planned out. Like they didn't have all their staff. They didn't have suppliers lined up to make the pieces or the Blu-rays or whatever they're working on. And it's it's really concerning because on some of these I've dropped a ton of money. The most famous and one of the most famous Kickstarters in history was Star Citizen. I've dropped $500 on Star Citizen in 2012. Uh, That's five years as of this October, so next month. And all we have is a small solar system to fly around our ships on in five years. Now, I know the game is very ambitious, but come on. That's crazy. That thing has made hundreds of millions of dollars and they can't get their shit together within five years. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's nuts. Um, It's funny though, because I have only ever kickstarted 
board games. I've never even dabbled into like kickstarting a video game. So I think it's it's very different. It's super different because mm. with the with the board game, I mean, to have a successful Kickstarter, you you need to be able to draw people in with with great looking art and uh, a really well designed prototype um, or sorry uh, uh, made prototype. Like near, it's got to be fin- it's got to be basically finished product. Really, if you're putting up gameplay videos of your game to draw people in, like that shit's got to look good. So that gives you, I think. It gives the the backer something tangible, you know, as compared to like a video game or something where, okay, yeah, they put up some pre-rendered graphics of what this thing is hopefully going to look like five years down the road or whatever, right? Like, I think it's I think it's very different. But then I think um, the process to fulfillment is also very different with tangible stuff, right? I think there. Well, I mean, not that I really have any knowledge, but just thinking about it in layman's terms, it seems like there's much uh, longer process and more things that could go wrong creating physical things, you know, like the amount of, the amount of different printers or uh, uh, molds for, for figures and stuff. And, and also, it seems to me like it's also more overhead, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, a lot of this is done overseas, getting these suppliers to, to you know, make the actual tangible goods. And I yeah, think that sure. that causes communication issues sometimes, completely different time zones, yeah. languages, people using English as a second language. And, um, you know, it's just a – it's kind of a different way of working out there. Is it, You know, that was kind of my point is that they don't have, you know, a good supplier always lined up ready to yeah. go. But okay, but what's the difference? The only difference there, the only difference is the backer's expectations. That is, that's the difference. So what, really what you're talking about boils down to customer service, are, in my opinion. Are you talking about between board games and no, other types no, of I'm, No, I'm talking about regardless of who, what uh, manufacturer they have lined up, if, they're, if they were to produce that game without using Kickstarter and they had the capital to put into it, they still have those same manufacturers lined up. The only difference between the two avenues, you know, again, assuming all funds, blah, 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 is the the backers' expectations and keeping them in the loop, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and I think that's a good point there because, you know, without Kickstarter, uh, someone who wanted to pre-order a game wouldn't have known that all of that was going on behind the scenes. But the one difference I would say is that it seems like pre-orders outside of Kickstarter are more likely to be fulfilled on time. I have had maybe one project on Kickstarter of any type that has not been delayed significantly. Sure. And I I think that is a difference between Kickstarter and just regular pre-ordered merchandise. See, I've never really – I've never been burned. Okay. Which is which is nice, obviously. Lucky you. But the very first thing I ever kickstarted was like, I think it was like the fourth printing of Unspeakable Words. Like this stupid little, like, Cthulhu-themed uh, word game that you're putting in, whatever. And, I, and it took two fucking years to fulfill for a deck of goddamn cards. That's it, ridiculous. It was that is ridiculous. ridiculous. Horseshit. And the game's, I mean, it's, it, the game is what it is, right? It's, it's a it's a deck of cards with some nice cartoony like Lovecraft stuff. Like again, it's that probably should have went into my 
disappointment thing. Well, you know, <laughs> oh, I guess we're still we're in still that there. Segue. Yeah, <laughs> okay. segue. It feels like we're talking about another. And segue. on a fourth printing, it's like, oh really yeah, get like your shit you together. Holy hell! Like, uh, I mean, the only other thing is um, one game which I'm really disappointed. Uh, I never even received my copy uh, of a game called Exoplanets, and I was super disappointed. I've, I've never gotten it. I don't have that game now. I've never been able to play it, but. I, at the time, I had had so many things back that I just, I guess, I lost track of what was supposed to be arriving. And like, I don't know, six months ago, I'm like, oh, I never got this game, and it was like a, uh, a Kickstarter from 2015. And so I contacted them, and like, I like, I, I never got my game. Like, what can we do? Can I still buy this from somewhere? Like, I really want it. And they're like, well, we'll just give you your money back. So I got a full refund, which is awesome. Okay, so, that's good. Great customer service from. Uh, what was the company? I think it was like Boards and Dice, I think is, is the company name or something. Um, but I don't know. I've never had any negative, overly negative experience, which, which is, and I wonder if that is, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe I just choose the right projects. I, or I, I've just been lucky. I don't know. I'd say a bit of both, cliche as that is. Probably, for sure. Maybe that's just part of the uh, board game Kickstarters versus other Kickstarters, too. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're uh, a little more trustworthy. Maybe. And they, uh, yeah. Uh, But, okay, so the one problem with Kickstarter, though, is, like, everybody and their grandma is on Kickstarter. Fair enough. There's so much fucking garbage Kickstarters out there that get funded, and and you wonder why people are disappointed sometimes, like... I don't know, man. You got to pay attention to what you're throwing your money to. But, you know, if someone wants to pay for something, then whatever. If there's demand for it, it's there. Like you guys said, it's their, it's their cash. It's no skin on my back if they get a shit product. They decided that they wanted it and they took the chance on it and it turned out it was crap. Well, shit. I don't know. Consumer, get your head, get your act together and let's uh, let's try to weed out these these unworthy products. That, yeah. that that don't have and by unworthy I mean not not necessarily I mean okay yeah the game could be terrible like it could actually just be a bad game the mechanics could be shit it could be uh, I don't know it couldn't have been maybe it wasn't play tested as well as it should have been just something about it didn't come together but what I say unworthy I think of like the people who are not uh, passionate about it that's what I consider to be unworthy and that's when I look at some projects I I, I think it's easy to tell. Oh, whoever is is putting their name behind this thing, I don't feel like they're devoted to it as much as they should be. If I'm going to contribute my fifty, sixty dollars American, I don't feel like I I don't I don't know I don't want it. <laughs> like no, go away. How? Why? Why are you here? Why do I have to look at a page of six hundred projects for hobby uh, for tabletop games and? have a hundred of them worth my time to look at and I got to fucking sort through them. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I like it. That's kind of all I had to say on Kickstarter. It's yeah. all I got too. Yeah. I find these uh, negative segments always just kind of leave us mellow and kind of Yeah, kind of. Because we usually just like agree pretty good, right? Yeah. We're both like, <laughs> we're all just like, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it won't always be like We're that. sad now. <laughs> oh, well, moving on to something fun and uplifting is a blast from the past with the video game variety show, uh, the best of the fourth console generation. 
I think this one means a lot to Moby and myself. It's going to be the console generation that started with the SNES, then contained the Sega Turbo Graphics for Moby, the Game Boy, and the Game Gear. It's kind of what we grew up with. It's the one that introduced most of us to gaming. It's the one... It was kind of like my baby bottle. It's what I took, took, you know, it was my little blanket I had when I was like five years old and kind of <laughs> carried me through it. It's the one you go back to now and you play the retro games and you have nostalgia for. We're going to talk about our favorite games and then some trends for the generation and what defined the generation. And then also a few things uh, like mascot rivalry, which was big for that era. And then some uh, failures just to make us sad at the end as well. <laughs> So I, I'm thinking we'll start with some uplifting stuff. So how about uh, we'll maybe we'll just start with favorite games because that's always fun and easy and we we'll just start there. So Leland, did you have a favorite game from that generation? No, um, this was the generation I wasn't really into. I guess that wasn't like I guess it, I wasn't um, playing video games all that much during this generation. Although I had. Um, I had a lot of game. I had a lot of Game Boy games, I guess. So I think my favorite thing I had on Game Boy was I don't know. I guess like just like I played a lot of Donkey Kong. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I didn't have all that much. Well, it's well, a character it, that reflects you. So <laughs> large, angry ape, <laughs> and you still like breaking barrels. So. Yes, he did. And eating bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of spoke to me. You could yeah. say it shaped me. It did. I can see it. I always rooted for that Donkey Kong man. Fuck Mario. Well, I think, uh, yeah, when you think about that generation, Donkey Kong's a pretty good uh, example of 2D platformers, which was huge. That I mean, up until maybe uh, the PlayStation 1 era, that was one of the biggest things was 2D platformers or 2D side-scrolling shooters because we didn't have very many games or concepts on a three-dimensional plane. So, obviously, most people are going to pick... 2D platformers as their defining or favorite games of that generation. Uh, well, Moby, what did you have? Yeah, my favorite game uh, was Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo, a game where Square uh, partnered with Nintendo, and it was really good. It was really well written. It was it had a great learning curve where it started easy and got very hard by the end. Uh, it had like uh, a segment where uh, these. Power Ranger knockoffs were an enemy that was a lot of fun. It introduced some really cool new characters uh, like Gino, who is a, a uh, what do you call it, uh, a cult character in the Mario canon now. I just thought it was an amazingly done game. I played it at a friend's house a number of times. And then uh, when it came out on virtual console, I played it to death. I still have it. I plan on playing it again soon. So that's that's one of my favorites, or that is my favorite of the generation. Yeah, that's one of mine as well, actually. Mine's also an RPG. Uh, it's Final Fantasy VI, mm. which was released here as Final Fantasy III, but numerically it's number six in Japan. Um, that's probably the high point of 2D RPGs um, for most people. Uh, the Mario RPG is another good one, man. There's a lot for the SNES, but that one's great. It's probably the best Final Fantasy game. I don't know if you played Final Fantasy VI. I have, actually. That would be second on my list, and that would be my most played Super Nintendo game next to uh, Mario RPG. And, yeah, I loved it. I have never 
and this includes Mario RPG, I have never seen a game of that generation that could tell such an engrossing story as Final Fantasy VI. I remember there was a point, I think I was supposed to go out and see my friend Colin, and it's the first time I ever bailed on a friend in my life, but I was playing it, and it was at a part somewhat near the beginning where the party gets split into three, and one guy's on a raft, and a couple others go in the forest, and you can choose those stories in a non-linear order, whichever you wanted to go in. Gosh, that was so engrossing, I could not put down the game. I gosh. just had to be... Gosh, gosh, gosh don't say gosh. gosh. <laughs> Damn fucking, it was so much fun. <laughs> you know what? Gosh, it was engrossing. It was really, I was just giving really some, engrossing. I was giving some mid-90s charm there, Leo. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, I didn't please. I did shit all over your all charm. Right. I, I'm going back to my youth right now, my friend. Yeah, when I think of that game, like that's the one that introduced me to RPGs. And I remember my brother letting me play it and telling me not to delete his save files and do all these things. <laughs> and at first I wasn't even allowed to save because they all had save files. I was, they're like, no, you can't have one. So I would just play through like the first three hours over and over again until I had to go to bed every night. Aww. So I got really good at it. Um, but, you know, you get to the part where Moby was at and it starts splitting up the party and you start realizing just how engrossing and involved this game is. It was uh, pretty iconic and really ahead of its time. And even the music for like the that era with the you know the thirty two bit graphics or whatever was pretty amazing. Sixteen, but he's counting. Sorry. No, are you sure? Are you sure it's sixteen? He's right. It's sixteen. Yeah, it's sixteen for the fourth gen. I done fucked up. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Six. It's sixteen. bit gl- Okay. Graphics. So what was thirty two? That was the following generation with uh, PlayStation One and yeah, and then N sixty four was sixty four bit. Right. Yeah. So is that not the fifth generation with the N sixty four? Yeah, the same generation. Yeah. Yeah. So how come it went from sixteen to sixty four? Well, because uh, the N sixty four doubled the PlayStation. They jumped. Oh, within it's, the same. Yeah. Within they the same just generation. made a jump. They just made a oh, technological okay. leap. Yeah. I see. That's it. Oh, the first time they were ever ahead of the curve. And, last. <laughs> and the last. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, that's... Marty, what do you have? I've never played any... I haven't actually really played any Final Fantasy games. Okay, well then shut I up and let me, Marty, I couldn't talk. even tell you what Final Fantasy VI looked like. I think you would like Final Fantasy VI. I think that's a good game. If now, you had, probably. If you had it on your computer and you were just sort of dicking around playing it, yeah. you'd really enjoy it. Yeah, probably. It's but incredible. back then, like, I could yeah. barely get through uh, Final Fantasy VII back then. Yeah. Or, you know, like, when it was out. I could, mm-hmm. barely, I could barely get through that fucking game. Oh, I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, I really want to get the, the new updated version for sure. Like, yeah. I want, to, I want to enjoy it. I want to. Now I, I know. I'm, I've, I've grown. I've learned. I want to enjoy it. Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting topic down the road. Um, they're definitely making some strange choices yeah. with that. Oh, I guess that's Have not, you heard about that that's movie? not what we're talking about right here, boys. We're gonna leave. Right. I'll just <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's okay to bring it up on a whim. Yeah, I've yeah. heard what they're doing with it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the battle style is completely different. So they're changing a few things, obviously, but the biggest one. Yeah, like, you know, they'll, they'll update it or whatever. The biggest one is they're splitting it into yes, different releases, that. which I, I think is an awful decision. That's bullshit. You know, I'm That's gonna, a slap in the fucking face. You know, I'm going to end up paying $300 for this thing, yeah, which right? is, it's, it's going to be like Blood Rage. I'm going to be disappointed <laughs> by it. You have no choice. 
And I and I have to. I have to give them my money. You know, I'm. <laughs> you don't have to. I, I have to. <laughs> I want to see the little honeybee dancers. That's all I care for. I'll hand over my three hundred for that. <laughs> yeah, do you, you probably you don't know that part. I don't know what you're talking about. In Final Fantasy VII, there's a part where you have to find all this stuff to cross dress and sneak into this like headquarters oh, and okay. pretend you're essentially a prostitute. Oh. And then you save your like girlfriend or friend or whatever who's. Yeah, yeah. Basically being half raped, half molested by this like oh, Jesus. owner of this thing, and as you're doing it to get all this stuff, you have to break into like this uh, men's bathhouse essentially. And there are little girls dancing around yeah, the honey. And they oh just look like this. It's a gyrating, nice music. Yeah, it's a twisted game. But yeah, Final Fantasy VI was great. Moving back. <laughs> uh, Let's never leave this generation. Let's just keep coming back. I actually have a ton for this generation, but that was my favorite game. But I also have a defining game, and I, I have two ideas. The one I'm going to throw out first is Super Mario World. It was the one that was kind of packaged with most of the Super Nintendos for a long time. Pretty much the pioneering platformer of that era. And I mean, it kind of set up everything for those Mario games. It, a lot of things that were introduced in that Mario game exist today. I think Yoshi was introduced in that game. Uh, the concept of like Bowser's kids, you know, the whole like going to different worlds. That was old, but they, they're all different in this game. And I think that was actually in Mario Bros. 3 and stuff too. But it, it really threw a lot of new concepts into the Mario game. And it was really great it was really solid platformer the mechanics were almost perfect and you know you could pick it up now and really know that this is the defining 2d mario game uh moby did you have one? Oh yeah and i've got only one because i grew up right in the middle of the craze but game boy is part of this generation and i'm going pokemon red and blue that's not actually that generation are you kidding me i'm, I'm shocked yeah i'm pretty sure that came with game boy color okay I was not sure wow. about that, yeah. but we've got a... Ah, welcome to my level, Moe. <laughs> I, I am brought down. I am brought down. Actually, Leland, can you research when Pokemon Red came out? Yeah, keep talking about whatever the fuck you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so I, we're, we'll find out to be sure, but I'm pretty sure because I thought about that too. I thought, okay, defining thing, Game Boy and Pokemon. Yeah, uh, and yeah, totally. That's I kind of went there too when we were talking, when I was thinking about this. But then I realized and that that didn't really happen until the Game Boy Color, and that was close to like 1997. I what was I'm the, not sure about what's the date range for this generation again? Because it came out February 27, 1996. Okay, Pokemon Red and Blue. But is it for Game Boy or Game Boy Color? Uh, it says Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. Okay, but so, it did include the original Game Boy. Okay, so, so you, maybe, says, maybe yeah. you could play it on the original Game Boy. Pokemon Yellow came out in 1998. Yes, and that's why I specifically said Red, Red and Blue. Blue. Okay, so maybe you are right. Maybe that was playable on the original Game Boy as well. Well, I thought so because I used to play it on emulator and it was not color. It had the black and green traditional. Yeah, I, I um, recall having it in the, in the no color. I feel like you're right. Okay. So, uh, anyways, Marty, yeah. thank you for that rather large speed bump. But wow. I will. There's continue. about five minutes I could cut out of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> well, I know. Well, I mean, I just feel like I'm just getting trampled on with my video game knowledge. So, <laughs> 32-bit generation. <laughs> Pokemon coming out in the wrong generation. Well, you know, when you're not even allowed into class to do your math homework without, you know, trading your math teacher and you, then uh, ah. it's talking about how big how big Pokemon was. And the, was the cards big. came out later, but gosh, it was, it was just the biggest thing. And to me, it just, 
my memories, it just defines the generation so much, even though it was for probably one of the earliest consoles that came out, because I think the Game Boy was 89, same with the German yeah. graphics, and the rest came a year or two later. But uh, yeah, yeah, certainly mid-90s, uh, you know, Pokemon just started a craze. And honestly, the craze is, it ebbs a little bit at times, but whether it's, you know, Pokemon Go or Crystal or whatever, they just keep coming back. Well, they know how to ramp that craze right back up. They do. They know what they're doing. Well, and the irony, the irony of Pokemon Go is you've got guys our age now, you know, millennials in their mid-late 20s, driving in their cars, speeding through New York Park, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Park Central, about to get into car accidents, hunting Pikachu or yeah. whatever. It's hilarious. You know, we were discussing briefly before this episode started about what's too far in geek culture, and that, that's going to be a, an upcoming <laughs> topic. That's too far. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That is now that is geeky and nerdy, no matter what. Yeah, that's beyond me. Uh, yeah. So the other one I had because I don't think Leland has any. No, I honestly don't. So I'll, I'll chip in two for Leland. Would be uh, Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. Oh yeah. See, I've never played any of those games either. Yeah, I've never picked up a Zelda. You game haven't, I know. And Metroid. Uh, right, I've Super, never Super played Metroid, any of those either. Which are basically, I might have played Super Metroid, Metroid actually. I think very briefly. I'm sure you've touched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's very similar to. I, I know what that one looks like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called like Shadow something, Shadow War. Oh, close to the Shadow Complex. Shadow Complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty much that game kind right. of. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a 2D scroller side scrolling adventure game. Yeah, and yeah, Link to the Past pretty much just introduced a whole ton of stuff that was brought in for all the other Zelda games definitively like the whole concept of like having a light and a dark world which they've gone back to many times where you can kind of travel back and forth between either a different time period or like sort of something happens to the world and collapses it or whatever so yeah those two games definitely define the generation but I think the biggest one for me would be Mario and definitely my favorite which I wouldn't say defined it but was awesome was Final Fantasy VI. Uh, Moby, did you have anything else about that? You know, not on the uh, favorite or defining. I just had those two. Okay. So, but if you're up for it, I can discuss the mascot rivalry because I got some marketing thoughts on that there. Okay. So the marketing uh, or mascot and marketing rivalry between Sega and Nintendo during the fourth console generation was really interesting. Sega's tagline was Sega does what Nintendo don't. And everything, <laughs> everything what they tried to do was to position themselves as the much cooler alternative to Nintendo. So whereas Mario was this portly, nice plumber guy who smashed Goombas and saved the princess, they wanted for their mascot the anti-Mario. So what do you do? You get a hedgehog that's quick, that's dangerous, that wears sunglasses and sneakers and has an attitude. And I think it was the first time in the history of video games where a company tried to differentiate itself for an older audience. Of course, later with PlayStation, they went into much more, you know, mature and 17 plus rated games. But I think it started there. And and it's just really interesting to me when I go back and watch old commercials because they're very blatant. You know, Sonic will like burst through a wall with lightning bolts happening in a living room. And, you know, kids will be like, I don't want Nintendo. I want Sega. Look at these boomerang shaped controllers. Black. Black is someone's soul or something. Yeah, yeah. This was the early 90s. Black that was Sonic cool back soul. then. 
So that makes sense because I remember wanting a Sega, and I don't remember why, because I didn't really want to play any Sega games. I just remember feeling like I need a Sega. Well, a girl, <laughs> a girl would hold your hand back in those days Probably. if you got a Sega. a Sega. So that yeah. was that was a big deal. Whereas if I had a Nintendo, she just kicked me in the nuts. Yeah, it happened to Moby a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Still does. I want to hold your head. Okay, this is not the musical special. The devil's music. Musical specials <laughs> later this fall. Uh, but yeah, it, I don't know, Leland. Do you have any thoughts on the mascot rivalry or Sega versus no, Nintendo? That's, that's funny. Um, I don't like particularly recall any of those, you know, ads or whatever. But um, look how it worked out for them. Yeah, <laughs> like just because you can make a flashy commercial, obviously doesn't. I mean, I, I guess they didn't sell well, or like, why did that? Well, they it's, didn't have the sales to continue with with the Sega or what? Like, yeah, the the successor to to Genesis uh, just didn't really work out well. The Saturn, it didn't sell well. That's another generation oh. there, and so of course the Dreamcast was, or yeah, the Dreamcast was the final failure, right? Right, and. Uh, you know, now Sega just develops content. But it's interesting because I think Nintendo has more gone down the kitty family route than they yeah. were even back yeah. then. And it's it's almost like, a, you know, a prophecy of what was doomed to happen. To yeah, when you think about back then, they had, they still had games like Mortal Kombat. And those are the games that were coming out on the Nintendo console. Yeah. But now they don't really have anything that I would consider, like, R-rated that they pioneer. Now you have Splatoon in the night. <gasps> oh, dumb. Not nighttime. Yeah, I love that their shooting game is a essentially a paintball tagging game. Yeah, right. With cutie little kitty squids. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Apparently it's pretty fun, though. I've heard that as well. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, something I do have interesting opinions on, or at least some opinions, was the two more obscure systems of that generation, the TurboGrafx and Game Gear, were the two systems that my brother and I actually had and got really big into. Um, We were initially given a TurboGrafx because our grandparents had a Super Nintendo and they said they had to keep it there as a special thing when we visited, so that's cool. But our parents wanted to buy us one console, so... I don't know if they bought it on price because it was the most expensive console out there, but we got a TurboGrafx in 1990, and it was an interesting system. Uh, We tried to have a lot of fun with it, but it was a failure. It was a failure on so many levels. Looking back on it, I did rebuy one. Our initial one broke. I did rebuy one about four or five years ago off eBay, off an auction. I was happy to get it, Uh, but... You know, yeah, now we've, that I'm, we've had some good times. We, we have had sure. some good times. Yeah, yeah five-player Bomberman's pretty fun. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yes, I love, it. I love it. But here's the thing. So everything for the Turbo Graphics was so fucking expensive. Yeah. The system was $400 Whoa. in 1989. Whoa. I was... Wow too lazy to figure out what that means in modern day (laughs) Canadian denominations. 14,000 rupees. (laughs) Yeah. Rupees. Zelda. You gotta go collect them. Gotta catch them all, Marty. So. Pokemon. (laughs) Fourth generation, Marty. (laughs) Fourth. Um, Yeah. So, you know, TurboGrafx was a failure for that reason. The accessories were not widely stocked by stores. It was mainly distributed through Radio Shack that had other business going on. So they'd only have a few games in. Radio Shack. Radio Shack. That tells you how old this is. That is. is. Yes. And it came with one controller port stock. 
Now, that is so behind the times. I mean, we're talking wow, yeah. any other system at least had two. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, that used to drive me nuts about the PS2 was that you had to buy, like, the multi-tap. Yeah, yeah. multi-tap. Yeah. 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 At least nowadays, everything is just wireless. So you can just wireless whatever into a console, right? Yeah. Well, it was a big deal. You got to remember, this was before the time of, of internet online gaming so multiplayer was in person you've got this overly priced system you've now got to buy uh you more control yeah you've got to buy overpriced controllers that were about 60 bucks a pop you got to buy the uh, turbo tap thing which i think its name was turbo tap for about uh 80 bucks that sounds dirty (laughs) well it it does but you know when i was a child leland my mind did not go there yeah as an adult absolutely i want to tap all five of those sockets but (laughs) But, um, you know, and I found out how expensive this was when I bought my system a few years ago and it only came with one controller and I wanted to get the, the TurboTap so that we could do uh, five controller bomber, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's why I bought that's it. Exactly, that's, you bought it, it was, so we could drunkenly drop bombs all over. The and place. it was amazing, and it, it did pay off, but it was so expensive yeah, to collect all that stuff. Nuts. You know, another failure for it was the fact that it borderline lied about being the first sixteen bit system, which is what it was widely advertised as. It had a sixteen bit graphical chip. The CPU, the processor, was only 8 bits, like in NES. Wow. So essentially what you had was NES graphics, but with a lot of good colors. But that's not 16-bit graphics. Right. That's just <laughs> yeah. really good colors. Yeah. And I think that that nowadays would probably face a marketing lawsuit, to be quite honest with you. Hmm. I mean, you can't do that. You can't say that something's half the power that it really is. So that was a problem. Game Gear. Yeah, I've got some stuff on Game Gear. Game Gear. You know what? Why don't you lead us away? Well, I had a Game Gear. Yeah. Uh, Me too. I actually had a Game Gear before I had a Game Boy. And that was my thing to play when we went on longer trips and whatever. How long? Like half an hour? (laughs) Like 10 hours in the truck. (laughs) So 40 40 batteries. (laughs) But that was the thing. I only had like a few batteries. So I'd have like a... like batteries for the trip for when I couldn't plug it in. Otherwise, we'd plug it into the the cigarette cigarette outlet. But every freaking time, someone would bump it, and my console would turn off. Oh, Oh. just straight up turn off. It wouldn't even, like, default to batteries in it? I don't even remember. Maybe I didn't have batteries. Oh, maybe there's just no batteries in it. Yeah, or maybe it was just beaten up or what. But I remember so many times I'd be playing, like, MLB on it or whatever the baseball game was. And (laughs) uh, that was, like, probably my favorite at the time. And I'd get through, like, Three games and then it would die, and three games it would die, and I I can't imagine the saving system was very good in that. I I don't remember, but I remember just it drove me nuts. But as a kid, that's all I had, so I just kind of made do. And the game library was awful. Yeah. So terrible. outside of the fact that the battery life was ridiculous, it was huge too. I mean, it was essentially like a weapon. <laughs> it, it was like it was like a brick. I think it took like eight. Patio, like. Didn't take like eight double A's. Like it was just stupid. And it was, yeah, it was. It was like. Two to four on either side of it. Yeah, I feel like it was like eight. Yeah, that's a lot. So wait, it was like the size of a large laptop. And and like, it was cool because it was color, but the game library was awful. It had like six games at release and it ended up with about like 300, but Game Boy ended up with a thousand. So to me, I mean, that's something that actually is reverse rules now with Nintendo. That's their big issue is their gameplay libraries. And I mean, they rely on you know, retro cons- consoles or classic consoles or whatever, but 
at that time, you know, having six games to when this console came out was just awful. Yeah, and unfortunately in the secondary market, there's a problem with uh, with Game Gear in that it has these power transistors that are faulty, like just the transistor that was used in Game Gear is faulty. And by about a decade on, those started to just fail and corrode. So it's very difficult to find a working Game Gear nowadays, which I think is a tragedy. We had a... Really? Well, okay. I thought it was ahead of the time. And I thought for the yeah. few good games it had, I think we had Sonic 2 and we had a Star Trek game that was really good and we had Power Rangers. My yeah, Power Rangers was good. Myself and my brother played that over and over again. And it was really cool to have a brick that could play these games <laughs> with good color and decent sound. And yeah, I would say it's about eight years ahead of its time. Uh, you know, it definitely had drawbacks with that terrible battery life. The times we did use batteries, it was... It sucked. Me and my brother had to pool our allowances each week to get two hours of game time. Yeah, well, okay, I'm sorry, but you have a, a handheld portable device that you had to plug in to use? I'm not saying... It's fucking it was, stupid. How is that ahead of its time? That is not ahead of yeah. its time. But but the performance of it on a, a uh, handheld was small. Right, and- but that performance is compromised. Okay. They, they and then they... That was that's the why they failed. They went too far outside of the limitations to try to be innovative. They went too far in the innovation. Well, you know what? My brother and I, we had both the cigarette adapter and the AC adapter for the wall outlet. We made it work. We didn't hit the core. And so we rarely yeah. played on batteries. And you're right. It was a failure as a mobile device. But it was still fun for us. Did you have the briefcase to carry it around like I did? No. So I had, I had a case for it that was the size of like an adult briefcase. And it would carry the games and all the cords and all the other crap. And it was it was essentially like a whole briefcase. And I think it had like backpack straps. It was ridiculous. It looked like a laptop bag. You have to have a carrying case so you can carry around the fucking power cords for this goddamn thing. Can I jump in with a funny anecdote here? Oh, well, well, <laughs> well I'm going to do it. Please do. <laughs> so one of my favorite family stories that my brother and I still laugh about, I think it was Christmas in 94, 95. Uh, my brother had asked for a Game Gear game, and my dad always screwed up Christmas presents. So I told him, <laughs> I said, Zellers in this town, on this shelf, middle aisle, top row, third from the right and I tried to guide him to exactly where this game could be found and Christmas Day rolls around and what happens that my brother gets a Sega Genesis game of Sonic 1 for his game gear so he gets the wrong Sonic (laughs) so I stared at my dad in the eyes as a little kid I opened the Sega Genesis game I took out a cartridge that was about the size of the system and I tapped the two of them together (laughs) while staring at him click (laughs) click click I'm like dad You've got to refund this. So well, you, my just, di- you just took it out of its original packaging, you little shit. Yeah, you avoided it all returns. <laughs> oh, those were the good old days of customer service. You didn't even need a receipt. You're like, yeah, I bought this here. Okay, how much did you pay for this? 300 bucks. Okay, here's 300 <laughs> So the way I look at the Game Gear is it's kind of like the Rolls Royce of the handheld consoles of the time. You have to be rich to own it and rich to pay for repairs. And, and, and it only runs on premium gas. <laughs> That's good. And it breaks half the time. But damn, when that thing's running, it's pretty. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that was definitely (laughs) a failure. And I don't think they even tried to make a sequel to that console, did they? 
I don't recall. I mean, why would they? No. But it's funny, though, that they never really kept on it because they already had the the technology advanced, right? Like, like they were they were already ahead of the curve. You don't think they, you think they could have kept that in their back pocket until they had the physical capabilities? Sure. Really, all you had to do was maybe, you know, do a second generation model that had a rechargeable battery, like an in-house yeah, battery that had yeah, yeah. more power and it came with a charging unit or... Um, yeah. You know, one could be bought. Well, for yeah, you know what? Now he's got to get Elon Musk to make the new game oh. here. Ooh, that, that boy's battery technology. Yeah, man, like, I think it lasts forever. Like the power cell in the Terminator runs 120 <laughs> years. <laughs> Thermonuclear power cell for game Blow, blows, blows up your neighborhood if something goes wrong. <laughs> I'm a little it. bit worried for that when that one corrodes. <laughs> well, uh, we have a, a certain friend that if he ever has a child, I'd give that version two to him as a gift. So, <laughs> these guys snicker in the background. Inside Vista, jokes. A note to the opens. Hasta la vista, red-haired little shit. Um, <laughs> Are we ready for movie musings? Uh, you know, I think I'm done. Yeah. Uh, okay. There's something that I wanted to actually say, but I've forgotten it now. <laughs> it seems to be an ongoing theme of this episode, Leland's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between you and Marty. Okay, yeah, no, I like it. Let's get on to movie musings. Movie musings. Video game adaptations. Uh, what went wrong? Everything. <laughs> Why are so few of them good? Uh, but we're going to start with a new little mini segment here. Uh, listener had sent us some fan mail and made a good suggestion, which is that with all the... 700 plus DVDs and Blu-rays I own and other movies I've seen that I should make a, a movie recommendation under Movie Musing. So this is the first new sub-segment that I call the Motion Picture Must See. C spelled with the letter C because as a jock I don't know how to properly spell C. So, <laughs> so it is the Motion Picture Must See. C. And I'm going to try with this sub-segment to keep the recommendation. It's probably going to be very loosely connected to the topic, but right. connected if possible. Now, are you going to keep these recommendations a little spoiler-free for once? Uh, well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And uh, the one I want to recommend is the 2002 Resident Evil by Paul W.S. Anderson. The very first one? The very first one of the six. That is a good one. And I think that is the one that... Even though it didn't follow the storyline of the games close, I think it nailed the tone and the atmosphere better than any of the other five that followed it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For it, sure. It was dark. It was brooding. It was a slow burn that had action at the end. I thought uh, the Umbrella Corporation was done well. I thought Marilyn Manson's theme music for that was phenomenal. Mm. Phenomenal. One yeah, of my favorite you know, I, I, like, I like that they... I like the lore that they set for themselves. Yes. And they basically made their own RE universe lore, which I think worked fine. I like to be, I think, when I think of that movie franchise, I equate it to the, the it, it took the same development as the Resident Evil video game franchise. I actually had that note. Totally, right? Yes. Like, it was super parallel, just ramping into more, 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 more action, and then too much action, so much action, and then you lose what makes Resident Evil Resident Evil. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, and it really is. I'm not going to try to recommend a movie that's shit unless sure. I give you a shit warning. <laughs> it may come up. Some of the movies that we hey. watch here 
listener. Yeah, so uh, so bad is good, man. So bad is good. So bad is good, and sometimes so bad it's bad. We're just yeah. uh, we're sados. We like to yeah, we ourselves love it, yeah. bad movies sometimes. I love it. Uh, but yeah, video game ad- adaptations and what went wrong. Um, you know, one thing I want to ask, and I guess, you know, Leland, we'll start with you because we finally hit a segment that you might be able to comment on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> video games have been long converted to film with mixed to little success. Why has no adaptation really gained universal acclaim and or commercial success? I believe that... You just can't do it. Hmm. I honestly think that it's almost it's a fool's errand. I don't think that you can you can do it because the mediums are just they're just too different, and I don't think there is a way to bridge that gap. Uh, like in, in a in a in a satisfying and enjoyable way, you know. I think I don't know. Like it just always seems like whenever you when someone takes the helm of. of of this these ports that they just lose what that game is about they lose the feeling of they lose the tone they lose you know the 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 relationship that you as the gamer develop with the players the player you're the the guy you're controlling the the other characters within the story i i just i just there's some disconnect there that i just don't think you could get over that's what in my opinion games are such an individual experience Especially story-driven games, obviously. You experience them in your own way, and you play them in your own time, and you have your own sort of emotional connection to it. Whereas a movie is really something you sit and experience with a group of people. Even if you watch it yourself, it's intended for a large audience. And it's just given to you. It, It is what it is, and you take from it what you will. But you don't give anything back to it. And I think most video game adaptions forget that aspect for sure and they also forget that there's something unique about all these games that really lure us to those franchises or whatever that makes them special and most of the time i see that these adaptions are taken and they're generalized for a large audience so they take uh, resident evil they take out most of the horror and they think okay action's going to sell so now all the films are going to be action 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 the frightening aspects are toned down or they're kind of you know, generalized and made to... They're they're made generic. Yeah, and that's really pretty much across the board when you think about video game adaptions. They're generic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I haven't actually seen that many when I thought about it. I actually had a hard time, like, thinking of ones that I hated other than the fact that I know they sucked. Yeah, I I guess that's a good point because, like, yeah, I I don't really think of ones that were just, just, like, to be despised. I just always, you just recall on the feeling of just being really disappointed coming out of some of those movies. They also try to add in, like, references to the games in these movies a lot of times. And And they're so heavy. heavy Yeah, that was was one of the things I really thought about. I was like, all these things, like, even in Resident Evil, it's like, we'll throw all these characters in and these monsters, but they forget what makes the monsters scary. And they forget what makes the characters tick. And they cast them poorly. Yeah. And it, it, with no, like, I think about, like, Resident Evil cra- casting Chris Redfield with uh, the, um, was a guy, Miles Wentworth or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Wentworth. And yeah. then I look at Chris in, like, the Resident Evil games, and he's, like, a jacked up beast, you know, 
special forces cop and Wentworth does not fit that role in no, my opinion. No. Just physically, right? Yeah. And they don't care. They just don't give a shit. No, they, they slap the, the, the title of it, the character name, and you're like, well, here's your titular characters. Yeah. And, and they expect that we'll be happy with what yeah, we got. Yeah, love it. Open your mouth. It's coming down your throat. We're going to force feed you it, and you're going to fucking like it. Well, I've got that as one of my main issues, is that there's very little respect for the core material. Mm, I, yeah. I believe what you're saying in that you can't take an experience that has been designed from the ground up to be immersive where you put your own actions in, and you are the character, to making that a passive thing. I mean, look at the most purest instance of being passive with a video game, which is watching someone else play it, the exact same game. It's never going to be as fun as actually playing it yourself. It's never going to be as immersive. Uh, But I just think the core material has been respected so little that these film studios think they can just throw in a few references, like Marty said, and get away with making lots of money for a film adaptation. And I I just don't think it works. What is interesting is I I do think it can go the other way around. I do think that you can make a decent video game adapting a movie. Even if it's loose, like GoldenEye is probably the most uh, popular instance of that. But one I've got, a a film I watched recently, Jacob's Ladder, which uh, Team Silent, who made the initial Silent Hill games, said uh, influenced 70% of Silent Hill. You watch Jacob's Ladder with Tim Robbins, and it's like you're watching a prequel to Silent Hill. And, and it's great. It's fantastic. Watching that, even with that in your mind, it does not disappoint. And so I think, yeah, I think adaptations are possible going from film to game, but not the other way around. I just think going from active to passive, you're always going to be disappointed. Yeah, I agree. Going from film to game is possible now there's a lot of terrible films and game adapters we should do that another day yes (laughs) but i think going game to film is super hard there there's a way to do it but it's tough and and you need a really firm director i think that can ignore movie studios because movie studios seem to be the ones that are you know making these things so broad and accessible where by making it accessible you kind of alienate everybody the one that I thought about and is probably the most revered, and it's strange to say, is the first Mortal Kombat. Because even though it's a silly movie, it kind of gets the tone of the games. Yeah, totally. yeah. And other than the fact that it's not R-rated, which hurts it, you know, in retrospect, looking back and wishing that it yeah. was a lot more violent, yeah. it was still pretty scary at the time, at least for a kid. And it did get that tone. You saw all these characters. They look like the characters. It was kind of hilarious at times, like... Just the fact that uh, the the casting and stuff, it it, it hit it pretty well, I thought. I think so, too. I think so, too. And you know what? With that movie, the studio actually listened to fans of the franchise. They did. Because when they originally had the uh, character design for Kano, uh, he did not have... His, his cyber eye or whatever on his face. I they, do recall yeah. that, yes. So they had to put it to test audiences and they, they bitched about it because it just wasn't accurate to the character. And I think he looked, he looked cool in the, in the final iteration of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a great, a great example of a, of a good job, I think. Yeah. They had a great theme song. I, I felt they nailed Scorpion and Sub-Zero, who were the guys I liked the most. Yeah. Uh, like Marty said, I thought the tone was great. I've got this one down. And I mean, we do not go over the content 
you know, directly before we do these podcasts. It looks like we all had Mortal Kombat down as one of the better adaptations out there. Totally. I think what's telling is if you look at the highest Rotten Tomato score for these film adaptions, like any video game film adaption that's live action and around the world, it's actually Prince of Persia. Hmm. Which is only thirty six percent, which is <laughs> that's the highest. The highest. So, uh, but the highest Metacritic score is fifty eight out of one hundred for uh, Mortal Kombat. Interesting. Okay. So it seems like people in general like the Mortal Kombat, and critics kind of liked Prince of Persia, probably because it had the cast, it had Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, at the and, time, and, and, you Gyllenhaal know, yeah, was pretty big. Um, and Ben Kingsley's in it too. Yeah. So that right there, right, it gives it some gravitas. And it gives it something to stand out, but it's still a generic film. It loses what makes those games special, especially the first one, Sands of Time. Yeah, man, Sands of Time was a good game. It was really good. And even the second, third, like that whole trilogy was really amazing. Yeah. And when you get past the fact that the second one's super duper hard, yeah, and suddenly really violent, but actually kind of yeah. kind of awesomely violent, yeah, yeah, it's weird that they even bothered kind of screwing with it that much. But then by the third one, it kind of makes sense almost. It's you almost have like a dark and light prince. And, totally, totally, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Getting off topic, but basically that first game was so good, and I know that's what they were trying to go for with that adaption, and they didn't hit it. No, they didn't do it. Well, and again, like. I, I don't think... Maybe I'm going to backtrack on what I said about not being able to bridge that gap. Maybe it, maybe the studio... you're pick, They're picking the wrong games to do it with. Maybe mm-hmm. there are particular games that you just can't do it. Because I think, okay, so you look at the... What's the game of Mortal Kombat? It's, it's like... It's, it's no... There's no narrative there. It's... Especially the originals. The narrative yeah, is really loose. Exactly. Was, so, there's a Mortal Kombat tournament for Earth. Exactly. So that's pretty pretty basic premise to, to develop a, a a script on, right? Like, yeah. As long as you're staying true to, and basically, all all you needed to stay true to that game is the character design, mm-hmm. right? Like, which is what they pretty much did with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe particular games, and so that brings you to like Sands of Time. Not, I don't think that's the franchise to try to. I don't know what what like drew them to do to to choose that franchise to put into film. Yeah, it's weird. Like I can almost understand picking Assassin's Creed because Assassin's Creed is a really like um, just well known, really popular series. It has a ton of games, and I know it has like worldwide appeal. There's a lot of games set in different places, and it's also got a pretty unique kind of hook to it. And uh, yeah, that game also failed. To live up in, a, in an adaption. So, hmm. you th- and you think, it would, like, of all the games that could, that one, to me, was one that I think really could have. I think it had the most potential, for, for sure. For sure. I and mean, even, um, like you said, just the different settings of the video game franchise lends real easy to a whole franchise of films. Yeah. Right? Like And sequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other one, well, there's two, I think, coming out soon. That I think maybe have some potential, Uncharted, which I I, I worry that's going to be really I'm so fucking over Uncharted. I worry it's going to be really generic. It is. It's going to be. And that's why do they keep making those fucking games? Well, I think they're done. They're done. Uh, well, yeah, but they keep making stupid little offshoots. The, the spinoff, or, yeah, that's so dumb. 
Well, I think why? Why do they need to make that? The whole that series should have died after the third one. It makes money. It's huge for them. <sighs> That's the thing, right? I mean, I agree that it's it's definitely like lo- it's long in the tooth. It really is. I'm just yeah. bored of it. It's yeah. not like they're shit. No, like, they're they're great but they're games, the, but they're the same. They're the, they're so same. They're very same. They're very they're same. So same they're very same-y. Same-y. Uh, they're you same-y. know what? Even even after the second one, I was done with it. Yeah, that was the best one. It was. Yeah, it was. The, it was the. Yeah, peak I think sure. the, the the other issue too is the Last of Us. For at least I know, I know you're not as big of a fan as I am, but like yeah. that was so different, just like tonally than Uncharted. That yeah. it, going back to Uncharted, it was hard. Mm. It was like okay, this is so much more dark and actually has a better hook. Like you, it's thrilling, right? Whereas Uncharted, you're like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah. again, that's un- like. By the time you get to the third and fourth game in that series of Uncharted, that what I'm not playing this because I give a shit about these characters. Yeah, I, I mean, so the fourth one, I played it because I had played the first three and felt like I needed to at least finish this stupid franchise. I had zero interest. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you what the story is in in Uncharted Four, and I played it like six months ago. Okay, I could tell you the story of Uncharted Four, but I could not tell you the story of Uncharted Three at all. I have no idea what happened. That's, other than there was yeah. a lot of sand, I remember yeah, that. <laughs> and there was like scarabs. Yeah. But other than that part, I don't. I, don't, I remember nothing. Uh, but I, I actually I liked Uncharted Four, but I agree. It, the other problem with Uncharted Four is it's way too long for what it is. Yeah, you wouldn't think a game like that would be too long, but yeah, somehow it manages to be. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I'm worried about that film adaption. It's gone through a lot of iterations, getting the script ready, and that's usually a pretty good indicator that there's nobody on board that really understands it. Yeah. And, like, at one point, Mark Wahlberg was attached to Star, and now, who the fuck knows what's going on with that? The other one that I think might actually be good, and I'm crossing my fingers, is the Tomb Raider reboot. Hmm. With Alicia Vikander, Vikander. Um, the Who's one, that? She's the girl that was in um, uh, that uh, artificial intelligence movie. I can't remember what it's called now. Where she's she plays like the AI. And uh, oh yeah yeah. Um, yeah the one where they're running it through the yeah the Turing test the Turing test yeah. thing. What was that called? Yeah. yeah, and she's the robot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was um, a good. Movie. It was a great movie, and she's great in it. And she's actually starring as Laura Croft, so she's playing like a rebooted version of Laura Croft, similar to the new games. And apparently, it okay, he- heavily cool. draws from the new games. Ex Machina. Yeah, that's there it. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great movie. And yeah, I think she's going to be great in it. Yeah, if it has a good uh, script, it has a good you know director. And the director is um, some foreign directors, like a Finnish director. I haven't seen nothing else, but maybe that's what it needs. Maybe it needs somebody who just is mm-hmm. like, I want to make this film. And I'm not just stuck, you know, the studio just hasn't just picked me and said, here, do this. So maybe he has a firm vision. Yeah, but what is the draw to that video game franchise? Like, I don't don't, know. Like, I played a lot of them and I enjoyed a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't get, I couldn't even tell you what what drew drew me to it, though. I I, I think, honestly, the original ones, the draw was that Laura Croft was just a ridiculously buxom, yeah, attractive female. Fighting T-Rexes with handguns. Yeah. Sure. And it kind of just went along that route where she was yeah. this attractive, badass female. If you play the newer ones, though, I've only played the, f- the first new one yeah. um, where it kind of gives her more of a human story. And yeah, it, where it, she's like... 
she's becoming Laura Croft. Yeah. That was a really good game. And apparently that one's really good. It's I'm gonna pick it up soon, hopefully. Hmm. It's for PS4 now finally. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and you can just I think it's like forty bucks now, so oh, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm able to play that and talk about it. But apparently this movie draws from those ones as opposed to the originals, which was okay. really I can dig that. Yeah, I mean the originals were kinda rough, like really think about it. Like, yeah. remember the one we played Angel of Darkness? That game was fucking terrible. Was, you, so in this game, oh. you could save at any point. It had like you could just hit start and save, but you could save as you were jumping into a pit and dying. Yeah. So and that would be your save file. No. So I did it three times. Oh, yeah. Fucking so game. Many times. So like, and I'd rented it. So I'd rented it. And I played to like eight hours, and also I was jumping, and I, I you got so used to auto saving because the platforming was so bad that you'd be like auto save, auto save, auto save, yeah. and you'd auto save into a pit, and then every time you loaded it, you'd be like dead. Yeah, dead. And you're screwed. Oh, and you yeah. had to start it over again. Yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> there wasn't the scene like nowadays. Games have several save yeah, files slots. backed up. Yeah. Totally. And they also have auto saves. Yeah. So like they, yeah, they yeah. fix that problem, but yes. they, they didn't think that. Oh. Thanks, Crystal Dynamics. I know I started that game. I played to the beginning of that game like three times. Also, it wasn't good. Nothing. It no, was... it was not good. And you know what? I can I I remember getting to the same park and doing it at the exact same jump two times in a row. I'm like, I am an idiot! What the hell am I doing? Oh, why? Oh. I hope they don't adapt that game. No, no. There's one adaptation that you guys haven't commented on, and just tell me both of you know it's being made, but the Metal Gear Solid film adaptation. That's been talked about forever. I don't know if it's anywhere near actually like being cast or filmed or anything. They're adding staff. Um, I'm seeing it on uh, LRM, mm-hmm. which is one of my major sites I visit, mm-hmm. so it seems to be picking up steam. Okay. But I think that's a, a game to film adaptation that's going to have a lot of problems. I think Metal Gear Solid uh, has a very unique tone and way of being. You know, He's always on his comm link with a bunch of weird characters. I just see so many potential yeah. foot traps. Yeah, but for that's a game that begs to be a game. Yes. And yeah. not a film. Well, and it's cinematic enough as is. Jeez, you get an hour and a half cinematics everywhere. The problem with that is it's, it's 100% necessary to boil that down and generalize that franchise down you have to to get it into a movie you have to and you have to adapt probably just metal gear solid yeah it's that first yeah like major game in the series because otherwise you're i mean metal gear solid 2 is a clusterfuck of ideas it really is there's so many many i mean you're pretty much in a virtual reality i don't even know it doesn't even make sense the the only other one you could do is snake eater maybe Snake Eater would be cool. That would be pretty crazy. Actually, that would be super cool because it's like Cold War stuff. Yeah. That could be like a really cool espionage. Could you imagine if they did MGS Smell Your Solid and then had immediately after that MGS 3, like the prequel, like Mm. setting up like who who Big Boss is? It would be a cool franchise. But I mean, if you want to watch that, go YouTube all the cutscenes for those movies. (laughs) Well, that was kind of my point is that the games are so cinematic. Do we really need a dedicated movie adaptation? They essentially have a movie cut version of those games where you can just like watch the hour (laughs) and a half cutscenes and it pretty much explains everything. Are there uh, any adaptations that you guys think you know, should be made. Um, we mentioned Tomb Raider and Uncharted, but uh, anyone have any other ones to throw? It? I have one. I have one. I got. Uh, I'm thinking The Last of Us is doable. 
That's one that has a very firm story, point A to point B. Um, the only issue I have with it is essentially we, we already saw that movie with Logan, which is basically like <laughs> the, the last of us with superheroes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's very similar yeah, tonally. Yeah. And like, I, uh, That's true. And I also would have wanted Hugh Jackman as uh, Joel. Oh, yeah. He would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. Have you seen the movie where he has to, like, uh, find his daughter's daughter's missing and, like, she's been kidnapped or his son or something? No. And it's kind of like a thriller movie. It's got him and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so he's trying to get... Oh, and um, Jake Gyllenhaal is, like, the cop. And he's trying to, like, stop him. It's relatively new? Somewhat, yeah. So he's basically trying to, like, find his kid and, all like, all the things he would do to, like, get his kid back. And he, like, kind of breaks down, like, goes pretty Oh, crazy. okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Huh. And it, seeing him in that made me definitely know he could play Joel. Like, you just push it um, really far. Is that Prisoners? Yes, I believe so. Okay. That, yeah. Oh, I've seen that on Netflix. Yeah. It's on my list. It's I good. Should, oh, I'm definitely going to watch that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, you should watch cool. it, too. Then we'll, we'll yeah, talk about it. Yeah. Really cool. So, like, if he brings that to that role and they cast... That could be awesome. You know, if they cast Ellie as Ellen Page from... 12 years ago <laughs> then, then we have that movie we'll use Disney's de-aging technology to, to make her young yeah put her in the Disney machine yeah that could be really cool I mean I haven't really think about I don't know what I would pick I don't think I have a pick I don't know I just reboot Resident Evil it leaves a sour t- <laughs> it leaves a sour taste when I think about it I just yeah I mean I could go for a God of War movie oh that might be cool like that could, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like crazy, yeah. like Greek mythology, a twist on Greek mythology. So those movies that never do well now, right? They now. don't. They don't. No. We get, but, we I get mean, one all time. Yeah, they there was a slew of them like yeah. around 2012 ish. Yeah, like the Immortals. Yeah, and, like, like all those. Like yeah, there was a whole bunch of maybe the maybe it's too far gone. Maybe yeah, it's played out now. But I think that I mean I. With the good casting for Kratos, I would love to see that on screen. Yeah, Man, those Blades of Chaos are cool. I want to see some wicked a Blades of Chaos. Hard R God oh. of War live adaption. That'd be cool, man. I'll take the first one where he he has to figure out a way to kill Ares. Directed I'd by James that. Cameron in 3D. Glass <laughs> <laughs> is free 3D. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the one I want isn't ever going to be made because the franchise is frankly just too niche but i would have loved to see a fatal frame adaptation uh fatal frame is for those that don't know or if listener doesn't know uh it's a survival horror series where you only have a camera but your camera is a weapon because it can capture ghosts on film and trap them there and ghosts on film click 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 (laughs) ghosts on film that's a preview to the musical edition coming to you October 2017. Uh, no, but Fatal Frame, I think, is a simple enough basic concept that with a good horror director. Oh, yeah, that could be really cool. Oh, sure. It's got crazy camera yeah. angles. You have the, you know, vulnerable kid or teen or whatever hide under beds, taking picture yeah. shots, make all these gross ghosts. It's very doable. It could uh, be like an interesting mix of. Uh, regular cinematography with like handheld movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like all of the the majority of the encounters with the ghosts could just be from the first person perspective through the camera. That could be pretty cool. Yeah, that that would be pretty cool. And yeah, you know, I think that would work pretty well. Um, you know, I have Fatal Frame Five, which mm-hmm. I beat, which was a downloadable game for the Wii U. 
one of three Wii U games I ever played. And uh, But it was kind of cool because it was semi-augmented reality. The Wii U controller, which has a TV screen, became your camera. That's cool. And so you would look around the room and try to find the ghost that's coming out of your fucking roof or couch or something. I really enjoyed that. I did not enjoy fighting the final boss for 90 minutes and figuring out I had to beat her by going up to her and clicking the context-sensitive button for a hug. <laughs> after an hour, after 90 minutes of losing eight pounds of water weight, battling this ghost, firing all my film till I just had the stupid stock film left, figuring out that my problem was I didn't walk up to her when she was stunned and hug her to win the game. That was one of the biggest disappointments I've ever had in video games. That's because you don't think outside of the box, man. You gotta you don't <laughs> hug a ghost. It's ethereal. It's ethereal, listener. <laughs> gotta hug away your demons. Jeez, you have to hug everything nowadays. Yeah, hug the pain, hug the pain. Because it's 2017. <laughs> so I also forgot about uh, one adaption. It was a kind of like a TV adaption, which was Mortal Kombat Rebirth. Do you remember that, Leland? Yes, and they there was, a, I, there was like a trailer, and then they made a two season sort of thing. Out yeah, of it wasn't it like on YouTube. Yeah, and yeah. Had, I didn't. I forgot. It had Jerry Ryan as Sonya Blade. Well, well, hello. So I knew I need to download yeah. immediately. And I started watching an episode last night, and it had Hilo from Battlestar Galactica. What? And I oh, wow. he was just playing oh, some random character. Man. I don't remember. Was he who. one of like the SWAT guys? Yeah. Around? Wasn't uh, Michael Jai White? Yeah, he was also Jax. Jax? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Check it out. I, I'm gonna find. I'll link to the first episode in the show notes. Yeah. Just find. Check it out. Yeah, I would like to give it a check yeah. out. That's a real good message, man. Fourth. Blast from the past. Yeah. Talk about it. Cool. And you know what? Actually, I remember all the Scorpion Sub Zero stuff, and that's really cool too. Ooh, because okay. it because it plays out um, the origins of them and the rivalry between the two clans. Oh. Yeah, and you you basically see Scorpion and Sub Zero become Scorpion and Sub Zero. Yeah, that yeah, is definitely cool. worth checking. That definitely is worth cool. Checking. Yeah, if I can find that, I will. oh yeah, I'll get it. I'll link it. I'll link it in the show notes for sure. Good mention. Right. Good mention. Well, I think that about does it here, unless... Yeah, we're running pretty long again. Yeah. So, you know what? I guess I would say is, uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah. And, you know, we, we enjoy making them. And if you stuck it through this long, you deserve a medal of some sort. So. <laughs> yeah, and hit us up with your feedback. Listeners already hit us up once. We want to hear from you again, listener. Please, yeah. You can um, go to our website, ttpopcast.wordpress.com, and go to our contact page, which is our email up there i mean uh you can hit me up on twitter too it's all it's all on the page uh, i actually get lots of feedback from on twitter uh, maybe not lots some feedback on twitter <laughs> you don't have to be so <laughs> it's honest nice. it's nice it's nice you've gotten a, a feedback i've gotten a feedback yeah thank you listener for the uh, feedback and actually on our site we have a new uh, support us page if you are so inclined it's got some links to um rpg drive through uh, where you can um, find like PDFs and I think they sell physical copies too uh, of like old older RPG systems, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, so go on there. I don't know if you're check it check it out if you're so inclined. We get a little kickback if you use our link, you know, kind of thing. But I've been Leland Steele. I'm Moby, and I'm the funny guy Marty. Thanks, listener. Thank you. We'll all float again. We'll all float <laughs> again. <laughs> We'll Next all week. float down here. <laughs> we're I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. Where we're going to... I guess we're going to straight up review It. New It, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Looking forward to it. That'd be good. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, again, exactly. Next week is going to be like an off week because it'll be another bonus episode. I mean, you guys have hopefully already listened to our uh, great fiasco bonus episodes. That was a good time. They were fun. They were super fun. We're, we're really creative. Okay, yeah. well, just uh, stay tuned for those next week, listener. 